Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Big thank you to Renee Maxwell for the last three hours with The Distant Sky. Uh, someone will be back from 4 to 7pm next Wednesday with The Distant Sky and uh, you'll want to stay tuned and pay attention to find out whom for this evening. Welcome to Bite Into It. We've got Dan Salmon here. Good evening. And I'm Vanessa Taholka. Good evening. And Vanessa, I just have to say it is fantastic to have you back after a bit of an absence. So lovely to be back. It's uh, it's only been four weeks absence from the station, but gosh, it's a place that you miss. Indeed. Um, and particularly lovely to come back to April Amnesty. It is a time to subscribe or donate. Um particularly if you're out of cycle with the, the regular sort of um, Radiothon subscription period, which usually falls in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, call out there for anyone interested. Head to rrr.org.au if you want to pitch in, be part of this amazing radio family that I did miss so much overseas. And it missed you, particularly yeah. the breakfasters, but oh. it was great to stand in while you were away. Oh, you're fabulous. <laughs> I, ca- I actually accidentally caught one of um, Dan's segments, accidentally not in the sense that I wouldn't tune into Triple R globally, but just had... <laughs> No idea what the time difference was and that I would catch your segment. And me and my travelling companion were like cheering and whooping and we sent a message to the text line. Yeah, yeah no, Daniel was ready. He's like, what, oh. what the hell is Vanessa doing? Message, listen, A, listening to us from Mexico and B, whatever damn time it would have been. But it was very, very kind of you to message and it was great fun. I think we were getting ready to sunbathe on our apartment rooftop. All right, so all right. Fine, you don't fine. need to rub it in. All you don't right. need to rub it in. So tonight, uh, what recourse do people have when generative AI tools provide false information. What if we feel defamed and Aussie Mayor has raised a case against ChatGPT and the world is watching to see if a precedent is set? Indeed. And uh, But before we do that, let's talk some news. Yeah, let's definitely In, talk some news. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we are still in the midst, I suppose, of uh, the cyber security. And, like, it's it's something we have been touching on and speaking on regularly on the show this year uh, because it is a problem that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Um, but the... Col- so you mean, like, cyber... Like so, mass, so mass, mass, mass hacks. Mass, mass hacks. Data leaks. Data leaks. Yeah. You know, there's every, it seems like there's one every week. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think my, my data's been caught up in one of them. I don't know if yours has, but, you know, we're talking tens of millions and of Australians. And how, how, how would one know anyway? You might know if you're in a prominent one like an Optus one or something. But exactly. It's very hard to know. And these were always going on before they became so well publicised. True. Um, but but as a result of the well publicised ones, mm. the government or the Commonwealth government is paying attention, uh, which uh, we, we saw earlier in the year the uh, new-ish uh, Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, uh, jumped onto the old media and had a press conference where she was angry as all hell at all and sundry who uh, caused this happening from uh, the previous previous government's uh, lax uh, structures as well as the companies that were allowing their data to be hacked. Um, And the next step in the government's, I suppose, efforts to combat this uh, have just been announced. Uh, We've got the new National Cyber Security Office, uh, which is going to coordinate cyber security efforts across the the government. And uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be getting any additional funding. It's going to sit within the Department of Home Affairs, but it is uh, a a dedicated office that's going to be dealing with this. And I'm uh, well overdue as far as I'm concerned. Yep, excellent move. Great to see it happening. 
good opportunities for some people who work in the space as well and just to see national coordination of these efforts. You know, it does affect national security and all these other things. Definitely. Um, so that that's fantastic. Yeah, and the onus needs to stop being on people to look after their own data. The, the, we a need lot... systemic approaches. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, the, the hodgepodge uh, approaches we've been doing <laughs> in, in, in recent years are clearly not working and it's about time that someone took up and took some responsibility for it. And and we do understand it's enormously difficult we to, do. to, you know, look after that area to keep up True. with everything. Um, yeah. But because it's enormously difficult does not mean it's not that's not a reason not to do it. No, and exactly. and this is the thing. Everyone has it's been in the too hard basket for long enough. Well, and that's that's why it's best to pool resources here as well. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Sp- sp- we sound like we we're, we're borderline um I don't know, yes, ministering this. Yeah. Like, I'm just expecting there to be a sting in the tail. Oh, God, <laughs> maybe I've been a public servant for too long. <laughs> I think maybe we've done radio so long we've fallen into shorthand and we're just like, yes, I agree completely. Yes. And also... <laughs> groupthink. We're not yes. groupthink. We are not groupthink here, I promise you. No, it's... um. It's that. What's the yes and thing? It's it's yeah. It's, it's yes and. It's borderline rather. improv. It's it's improv. It's very That's dangerous a, territory. For well, us. what what is radio if not improv? <laughs> I come in here with no idea what I'm going to say, and then I riff oh off gosh. what you're saying. Oh my gosh! So, um, uh, what else has been happening in the world of tech? Well, Vanessa? Microsoft is teasing that there might be a Chat GPT plugin for Bing Chat. Now, Bing Chat, probably not your go-to chat, but they've been very successful this year mm. in, in putting out, you know, um, a new version, a rival to, to um, other chat services out there. Um, for, people for, have said it's a bit intense, that it can get a bit emotional, their conversations there, but, um, you know, it's all about the prompts. We want to learn how to talk to our chats. So so, so what, what, what is Bing Chat um, mainly used for at the moment? What, what, oh, how, who knows? How, how, would I, how would I be interacting with Bing Chat? Well, you'd just go and you'd decide that you want to chat with it as a, as a resource instead oh, so of, say, interacting with a search engine oh. or solving a problem yourself. You right, know? okay. It's just another chatbot. Right, okay. So, so I mean, if, if you use Bing, you now have the opportunity of using Bing with a AI talking to you rather than a rather than, rather than key, key inputs. It's Bing plus Chat GPT. It's see, this is the thing. It's like Chat GPT obviously has been the flavor of the month for the last few months. Well, now. It, and it's been trained on many more sources of info than than Bing has. Mm. So you know that's what you can think of it doing. It's like getting a memory expansion kit. Yeah, and just plugging it in. Absolutely, but and and it's it's sort of we're at this point now where chatbots and you know generative AI. Is very much the flavour of the month. Everyone's doing their own thing. Google have tried it with Bard, and that was hilariously wrong. Um, we have, we've obviously got GPT four that's uh, uh, supporting certain things. Microsoft have, uh, in addition to Bing Chat, uh, including including uh, the plugin support for Chat GPT, they've also been. Um, teasing that they're going to be using GPT four on their Office three six five yes uh, software. So I mean, look, everyone's doing it. Whether we're doing it well and whether we should be doing it as much as we are is yet to be seen. And and tonight's interview is really going to unpack that a little bit about the It'll definitely unpack the technical side of this. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So stay tuned. Indeed, for that. Some, something you shouldn't stay tuned for is <laughs> uh, nude videos. Now, when I read this article, my first thing was, what is a person doing where their Tesla is in a situation where it's going to take a nude video of them? Now, stay with me here. Tesla has uh, been, yet again, something else that Tesla has done wrong. Um, Their workers have been sharing sensitive images recorded by the cars. Now, Tesla's famously a 
packed full of all kinds of unnecessary technology. <laughs> uh, one of those it's things. Controversial, but okay. Yeah, no, we'll you know, allow I, it for now. I, I, look, any I, anything that Elon says or does, I am absolutely <laughs> against. I don't care. Um, he can come after me with his billions. How's he going to ruin my life? Anyway, um, so Tesla's in amongst all the technology have cameras and those cameras record things and send it back to Tesla HQ. Tesla employees have been uh, found to be collecting and sharing and misusing this private data. And presumably Not, there'd be assurances when you buy a Tesla that this this material will only be recorded for quality assurance and safety purposes, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. I'm sure I'm sure it's in there somewhere, but, yeah. I mean, it's, it's A, it's in the fine print or not there, and, B, the pe- like a lot of the people who are these kind of, you know, fanboys who will just buy a Tesla for whatever reason, they don't care. But, I mean, this is not the first time that a Silicon Valley-led product has embedded um, recording capabilities for, you know, legitimate purposes mm. and then misuse those. And Uber's a really famous case of this going wrong. You know, um, their their surveillance was in the sense of tracking vehicles around the place, mm. but they were they ended up, you know, revealing uh, famous passengers or even journalists who were travelling in their cars and sort of projecting that on a on a screen in a party and everything and just yeah. you know, just just misusing um, data that they're collecting for other purposes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and it is one of those things where, you know, yeah, sure, can we, should we? And that's the question. So things like, yeah, as you say, misusing video, some, some things have included a, a video of a child being hit by a car. Um, a, a, a video of, and I alluded to this earlier, a someone nude, like being recorded by their car as they walked to it. Why you would walk to your car in the nude, I don't know. But like this is this I is mean, sensitive stuff. I presume stuff. that some of this stuff was inside the cars as well. But yeah, I would I yeah. would imagine so. Although the cameras are largely used to monitor traffic, so they would be pointing out of the car most well, of yeah, the time. Well, yeah, because there's meant to be self-driving capabilities emerging in these cars, mm. and so obviously it involves a lot of cameras, and yeah. it makes sense for safety features. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's not the problem that they are recording things and that we can't think of valid use cases for why you would have this. Here's my user story. You know, I want to make sure that if a ball comes on the road in front of me, I'm stopping. And if I'm not stopping, why not? You exactly. know, if I'm meant to be that clever. True. But the, but you get people who are fallible involved and that's where things fly out the window. Yeah. So it's it's more it's a failure of process. It you know? is. So how do we how do we get our staff to, to comply and, and um, take privacy seriously? That's a question we've been asking for a very, very long time. Yeah, um, and and it's interesting too because, you know, I don't think that um, overly surveilling employees is the solution either. You know, you've got to design um, more secure systems by design. There has to be a reason for you to go and access these things. There should be protocols around when you then get to lift and share that content outside of, you know, the original capture. You know, there's there's absolutely ways you can do this mm. and still um, have that useful data to evolve your product absolutely and but I, th- I think the question is where who who is in these organizations creating these internal governance structures that they need yeah. and ah, data governance <laughs> ah, music to my ears dan yes speaking of music to your ears <laughs> Here's, <laughs> that, that, Beautiful. Uh, that, that was a pretty good segue. Oh, I missed it. I missed uh, it. dear me we'll be back in a brief moment to uh discuss chat gpt and the implications for trying to sue it Yes. Seven sixteen on three triple R. You're listening to Bite Into It with Vanessa and Dan, and that was Civic with Blood Rushes. Uh, what a band! Saw them uh, at the Croxton a few months ago. God, they did well. Saw them at South by. 
just a meter oh, in front of me, Dan. Come on. Just a meter. Oh, man. I could touch them, but I didn't. Yep. Just talk them up to the Americans. Well, that's it. That's it. You don't want to touch someone who uh, has not asked you to touch them. No. <laughs> Consent first. Consent but first. But even before that, we are at 7.16 on the show. It's time for our first interview of the evening. This week, we've seen the world's first defamation lawsuit over chat GPT content, and the case has arisen in Australia. So, Monash University Professor Jeff Webb from the Department of Data Science and AI has agreed to join us to help us understand what's gone on a little bit better. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hi, uh, pleasure to talk to you, Vanessa. It is great to have you here. Um, sorry about the uh, mix-up with the phone numbers before, but uh, it's always the tech show that uh, oh, good. tweaks. Look, um, we, we're definitely not here to speak to you about the legal aspects of this particular case, um, but we would love to speak to you about um, the underlying artificial intelligence and chat GBT and what might um, bring it into the sort of scenario where it could make false statements about a Hepburn Shire Council Mayor, uh, Councillor Brian Hood, who is indeed suing OpenAI for defamation. Yes, it's uh, quite an extraordinary case, isn't it? Um, so perhaps the starting point is um, uh, to give an introduction to exactly what these systems are. So they're called large language models, uh, and, and they basically uh, suck in huge numbers of uh, pieces of text, uh, and then they summarise that uh, in a way that doesn't keep the original text, but allows them to generate new content that is similar in style and structure to the original uh, text that they were fed. Um, so it's important to be aware that uh, they're not in any serious sense uh, intelligent systems, so they've got no desires, uh, they do what they're programmed to do and they don't care whether they actually succeed in doing something or, or fail. Um, and while they can pass intelligence and tests of uh, knowledge, they don't actually have any basic common sense. So it can be used for uh, many uh, very useful things, uh, but they can also uh, throw a number of curved balls, one of them being that they can uh, generate uh, stuff which simply isn't true. Um, so they can do that in two ways. Uh, one way is uh, the text that they were fed in the first place might have contained stuff that's not true, so we don't know exactly where the texts that have gone into ChatGPT have come from, but uh, they've probably been taken from all over the internet. Uh, and I think we all know by now that uh, you have to take with a grain of salt stuff that you just stumble across yes, on the internet. indeed. <laughs> Um, but also because they're not actually uh, echoing back exactly what they've um, been fed, but rather they're replicating the style and content, uh, they, they can just make stuff up. So as long as it's in the right style, it's uh, satisfying what they've been programmed to do. I think that particular piece of understanding how the content in one of these these chat interfaces might come in front of you and be effectively made up is the bit that's 
more difficult for um, people interacting with these to, to pick up. Um, when, we, when we look back on what's happening in this particular case, um, this councillor is saying that ChatGPT has made several false statements when his name is entered into that chatbot. And those false statements are around his whistleblowing on Note Printing Australia paying bribes to overseas agencies to win money printing contracts. And ChatGPT then saying that he was the person paying the bribe when actually he was the one reporting it and blowing the whistle. Um, when we unpack the expression making false statements, is it really a fair way to look at what uh, a generative AI bot is capable of doing? Is it capable of determining false from not false? Uh, so it has no sense of uh, whether something's uh, false or not. So it's just programmed to uh, create uh, text in response to whatever prompts you put into it. Um, so if you tell us a whole lot of things that are false, and we'll just echo them back again. Um, if, if the um, import that it got given in the first place was false, it will just echo that back. But um, also, uh, so it, it, it works on what things go together. Uh, so his name uh, goes with note printing Australia mm. and probably uh, in the collection of text that it was uh, fed, the things which most go with a person's name and note printing Australia is uh, being associated with that, that, that fraud. So it so may just makes... be as simple as if you um, uh, say something about anybody um, at Note Printing Australia and ask for a description about them, it may well say very similar things. So, Jeff, this makes me think back to the early days of search engines. You know, we're moving from... Yes. Um, uh, directories like Yahoo and what have you to navigate uh, you know, web pages that exist and search engines are there. And people try immediately to, um, to game the search results by putting a whole lot of um, keywords on their websites that they want to be associated with, you know, attractive yes. qualities for their product or yep. whatever. Um, and then, you know, that gets increasingly sophisticated. People, you know, make that text invisible or they start hiding it in the metadata tags and then those get overused and they keep finding new ways to do this. Yes. Can you imagine um, ways in which people might be thinking to game results out of these sort of chat interfaces uh, in the wave that we're currently experiencing? Uh, I think that would be very difficult to do in the current systems because um, they're, they're currently uh, the, the text that they're being fed uh, is currently quite old. So if you ask ChatGPT about anything that happened after 2021, it probably won't know about it. So most of the most of the data it has seems to uh, finish about that time. Uh, so certainly that's that's not a concern currently, but if people can start finding out where the source uh, documents are coming from and start feeding stuff into there, uh, it certainly is uh, a possibility. But I think there's uh, many much easier evil things that uh, bad actors can do with yes. these systems without having to um, go to those lengths. 
Absolutely. Uh, Je- Jeff, do you think that there's any responsibility from the people who write these uh, programs to put this sort of thing into consideration or is it sort of more... You, is, it, is, is the onus on the user to use it well or is the onus on the developer to develop it in such a way that it can't be misused? Um, so I can only only speak as um, uh, speak from my own personal opinion here. Um, That's what we're after. Can't give a, <laughs> a legal or or um, a philosophical response, but uh, most certainly I think that um, anybody who uh, develops a device needs to um, make sure that it's. Uh, um, designed to be safe to use. Yep. And like any tool, you know, it can be used for, for good or evil, but um, where are our conversations going in terms of putting guardrails around things? From a developer perspective, what are people thinking about? Um, so there's a lot of guardrails already built into uh, ChatGPT. So uh, I tried the other day uh, to ask it, um, how could I take over the world? Uh, and it said, well, taking over the world isn't a good thing to do and I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so it does have a conscience. Um, no, don't no, mistake that, that for a conscience, Dan. That's a, that's a trick for, for early players. Yeah, no, I think I think um, the developers of it are busy identifying um, uh, um, undesirable things that people might ask it to do, and each time one comes up, they kind of plug the hole. Uh, but that's that's um, uh, one of those uh, arms races that goes on with these yes. kinds of things. So so um, uh, each time. They plug a whole inventive person finds a way of getting around it. So at one stage, I don't know whether it still works, at one stage uh, you could get it to answer questions that it would refuse if you just asked them straight up by um, asking it what would some other specific person say if you asked (laughs) them that question. Um, So I'm sure they've plugged that one too by now. Um, yeah, so there's um, a lot of information in there, but uh, you also have to be very careful. I mean, um, if it uh, did tell you how to take over the world, uh, it would probably be um, fantasising anyway. It probably wouldn't be a particularly effective plan, would be my guess. Jeff, you've you've spoken a bit about um, the, the problem with falsehoods and, and not being able to tell if something's correct or not, but... You know, those are relatively black and white concepts to us, and so we're a better place to navigate them. What about when we start getting to grey areas and biases and other inaccuracies? Uh, well, that's certainly another concern uh, with, with, with these systems. So uh, they're um, only going to echo back what they've been trained on, and they're trained, they seem to be trained on a kind of dump of the internet and um, the internet is full of text which is largely written by white men uh, and so what you're going to get back out of these systems is going to largely be white man speak. <laughs> I'm fluent in white man speak so uh, that's not concerning me <laughs> terribly but yes when we talk about biases this, this is important information. 
Yeah, but um, so so you're not likely to get uh, minority opinions out of it. Yes. Um, uh, it it, it it's, um, uh, feeds back what is kind of the opinion of the mass uh, and the mass as, as it appears in, in the internet. So we've talked about, you know, some problems with relying on uh, content that you get from a chat interface. What are the strengths? Is it market research of old white men? Is it, you know, what, what, you know, what are the real strong points? What's, or what's fun or what's interesting and what's different about what these tools can provide? Um, so they um, capture huge amounts of stuff and if you want to get back a kind of boilerplate template for something which is common... Uh, then, then uh, they're really good starting points. So, one of my friends uh, recently needed to appoint a few staff, um, going to be one-off positions. So, they wanted a physiotherapist, for example. They had to write a position description. They had no idea what the standard things you ask for a physiotherapist are. So, they asked for a position description for a physiotherapist. And it gave one, and uh, um, then all he had to do was make the minor tweaks to customise it to his particular circumstance, and there it was. So, You've got to love a good first draft. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so great for that kind of thing. Um, uh, that's a bit of fun. I've asked it to write a mission statement for a university. And it comes back. <laughs> <laughs> Something which looks very much like most university mission statements I've ever seen. All right. Someone go um, to the Internet Archive now and make sure that Monash Uni's mission statement's up there so we can compare in a few months. <laughs> uh, but for any for any kind of uh, standard thing like that, uh, give you a really good uh, starting point. If you, it's a bit of a loss at how to write a letter when you're going to break up with your partner. <laughs> first draft, I'm sure you can just change the names. I'm and, sure the uh, API for uh, for one of those dating services <laughs> is coming just around the corner. <laughs> Ah, uh, indeed. Uh, so, so Jeff, uh, t- taking that idea of you know using the existing um, text and you know using it to create something new, are, are we in danger? Do you reckon of losing our creativity if everyone's going to start using ChatGPT to just write the same thing based on what other people have said previously? Um, I think it's actually the reverse. So what you get back out of these things is kind of uh, the bog-standard response, right? So you get a bog-standard mission statement. If you want your university to have an exciting, different mission statement, then you're going to need to employ a person to come up with it. And maybe put that up as the not-to-do example. Ah, indeed. Excellent. We can, we can re- yeah, work backwards. Yeah. I like it. I um, like it. You make us think very creatively. It's uh, it's a good sign <laughs> practicing what you preach. We've been speaking with Professor Jeff Webb from Monash University. He's an expert in data science and AI, and he's been unpacking the significance of large language models and, and some of their limitations with us today in the context of the Hepburn Shire Council Mayor suing OpenAI for defamation because ChatGPT makes several false statements. 
We've learnt so much, Jeff. Thank you very much for your time this evening. My pleasure. It is 7.32. You're listening to Bite Into It on 3RRR with Vanessa and Dan. And uh, we've got a track here from Sleaford Mods. 7.36 on Triple R with Bite Into It, Vanessa and Dan. Now, for those uh, who are, I suppose, on their social media and have friends who work in the creative space, you might think around about this time of year, they're all going over to the United States or have been up until uh, uh, a couple of years ago to a, a little a little conference called South by Southwest. Now, uh, our very own Vanessa Tolka was fortunate enough to be able to go to South by Southwest this year after a couple of uh, false starts. And uh, Vanessa is going to regale us with uh, her highs, her lows, her experiences, her takeaways from South by Southwest 2023. I'm going to give it a good shot. Oh, you get, I, and, I, and I'm really excited. So I guess first and foremost, um, it, it, it seems like something that is, I suppose, pretty inaccessible for people unless you work in the industries that are associated with it. Look, it was a bit of a bucket list item for me because there's such a big festival. They've been going since 1987, at least the music side, and then they introduced the interactive stream in 94. And so, you know, since then it has definitely attracted the sort of tech um, stars that we would be interested in hearing from. But for a long time it's attracted, you know, a huge level of, of music talent. They also introduced um, a film and television stream and, you know, that's that's incredible as well. So things like the movie Air, you know, Matt Damon and, and um, Ben Affleck's, you know, latest venture was launched there. Um, similarly, John Wick 4, you know, so... Whispers go around through the festival like, oh, my gosh, is Keanu going to be here? Is he really going to be here? <laughs> uh, I didn't see uh, any any of him, but his film did launch around the corner from my hotel, so that was pretty impressive enough for me. But I was there for the technology. You know, that's, that's what I'm about. And in, you talk about accessibility. I mean... They One in three people attending the conference this year were internationals. Um, the tickets are not cheap and the American dollar is annoyingly strong. So there's that. Um, I happened to win my ticket, so that made it a lot easier to attend. So I'm certainly not flush. Um, but yes, if you could uh, attend because you work in tech of many kinds, and you know, what industry doesn't tech touch these days, um, or music or film or TV or whatever, and it was tax deductible, you know, it becomes much more reasonable. The other problems then are the accommodation and, and everything is quite expensive in the States also. Food is relatively cheap, so there's that. Uh, it's okay. It's, it's reasonable. It's, you're going in peak time. Mm. So, look, it's, it's an investment. And that is the mindset of people who you're talking to who are there for the festival. How long are you here for? What are you trying to get out of it? You know, what's your what's your purpose? What's your mission? You know, what sort of people do you want to meet? People there have a mission, but they're also very friendly and, you know, it's like the friendliest tech conference you've ever been to. Mm. People are very interesting. So, you are having the best conversations. And, and I suppose what was your answer to, to that question of why you're here? Well, I mean, the answer was very different in 2020 when I was meant to go, when I was working at a different job for a professional services firm and I was working on massive digital transformation projects and looking for what might attract me, you know, in the in the next phase of my career versus now where I'm, you know, I've pivoted to a different, um, a slightly uh, more niche area than what I was doing in you know, years ago, and uh, and I know what I'm doing, but now I'm more interested in, you know, trend analysis and and catching how all of these these big new waves of technology um, might affect 
my work. Uh, so there's that. And just, just looking for general inspiration, you know, you're, in tech you're always thinking what is reinvention going to look like, what skills will I need in the next, you know, two, three, five years, ten years. It's very hard to project out ten years mm -hmm. from now, but you keep going, what am I interested in? What's fascinating? What problems do I enjoy solving? What can I solve for people? What do I think has legs? What do I think is going to fall over? You know, do I believe that the metaverse is going to be a thing anytime soon? No, I don't. You know, I don't want to spend my time there. I don't want to spend my energy there. Mm. So, um, you know, and you're having these conversations with other people too. Am I right or wrong? Am I crazy? What haven't I heard about? What's new? You know, it's just so – there's so much potential. What what was the most outlandish idea you heard? Uh, I don't think it was the year of outlandish ideas. Mm. I think this was, you know, the context of going into this year's festival was Silicon Valley Bank had failed. Of course. And was continuing to fail and there were concerns about other, other um, sort of things. So... I had jokingly said that, you know, look, I didn't want to waste any time chatting to crypto bros in this environment. And look, I've got a little bit of crypto. I'm interested in the technology. I'm not interested in um, Ponzi schemes, um, get rich schemes, um, anything to do with that. I'm not that interested in money. <laughs> uh, I spend a lot of time at Triple R, you know. <laughs> but, um, but what it did do is it dampened down some of, you know, the more um, – rampantly capitalist and only interested in money aspects of people who would be attracted to that environment. And instead, you know, we're in this time where we're super saturated by this wave of generative AI that feels like it's come all of a sudden. And, you know, fortunately, most of the people in that environment know better and they understand where it's come from, but they're still looking for how do we make it work for us? How will it apply in my industry? You know, what do I need to protect against? What, you know, what will kids be learning through? How's it going to change their experience of the world? I mean, people are coming at this from so many different angles and they're all represented in that sort of environment. You know, you've got lots of educators there. Um, yeah, you've got, you've got people trying to solve big world problems going, is this going to be part of these solutions? You know, there was a massive sustainability and clean energy track as part of the um, interactive stream of the festival. And it was great to hear people mashing up, you know, concepts there. Uh, but I think the other exciting aspect was just access to talent. You know, some of the people who you're hearing speak about issues that you care about are the people who are co-founders of ChatGPT, who are, you know, ex-founders of Instagram, for example. You've got people who are sitting on joint, um, you know, party federal government committees in the states deciding how they're going to deal with e-waste and debating, you know, ideas and investing in possibilities. So, you know, that, I, that sense of access to people who are making decisions that matter, people who are having ideas and designing things in ways that are going to affect people around the world, um, is giving me goosebumps just right now. You can literally see it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it sounds like there was a bit of hope flying around. No? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think so. That's probably my bias. You yeah. Know? And, um, gosh, a... I needed some fuel if, if it wasn't going to be the coffee. Totally. Because, you know? <laughs> I mean, look, it's, it's a, change, a change from hearing tech bros talk about how much money you're going to make from crypto. I mean, there was definitely um, aspects of, of other people holding the industry itself to account mm. and talking about, you know, moments of reckoning 
um, as they come up and, and being critical of, you know, some of the huge players in the industry. And you've got to understand the context of Austin too, which um, when we've seen a, a mass exodus of companies, you know, from the Silicon Valley geolocation, you know, lots of them have been coming to uh, Austin, Texas, which traditionally has been, you know, a home of an amazing university and, you know, Texas Instruments has got a long history of um, being great for engineering companies and, you know, now they're, they're living through waves of, um, of tech investments and, and, you know, companies setting up base there as well. So, you know, it's, it's not an intangible thing for people there. They, they are also thinking about how is housing these companies and, and these workers changing our cities? You know, what does that look like? You know, they're looking at social elements of these things. Um, yeah, incredible. And, and I suppose that's something that we, we've been grappling with over the years here is the idea that tech is no longer this thing that's over there. No. It's a thing that's in us and of us and around us and we interact with it on a daily basis. It's, yeah. no, it's no longer an abstract idea. No. No. But do, do you think – was anything, what, were you inspired by much that you saw? Um, definitely. Uh, there were some amazing, you know, keynote presentations, which, you know, sometimes you can get cynical about keynotes. These were all really well vetted, well curated, well deserved. Um, Amy Webb presented her emerging technology trends report, which she often does. And that's well worth checking out. So you can actually go and listen to a lot of these presentations and watch a lot of them too. So if you go to the South by Southwest website, then there's a lot of audio recordings. But if you go to their YouTube channel, then there's also selected videos available and they're worth looking up. So Amy Webb's one is well worth looking at. Um, funnily enough, surname spelled exactly the same as our guest tonight, Jeff Webb, W-E-B-B. Uh, then we also heard from um, the most attended or attempted to be attended session. I've never seen Q so long. Um, <laughs> OpenAI co-founder um, Greg, uh, not Sam, who you also see with even more followers on Twitter, um, was talking about the origins of OpenAI, ChatGPT, DAL-E, uh, and the Im impact of generative AI and talking about what ethical guardrails might be needed along with this innovation. Um, great to hear. Uh, John Maeda, um, people know him from his... He's, he's famous for attending and delivering a design report and design with a lens on whatever he's thinking about at that moment, which at the moment is artificial intelligence. So look up John Maeda. He works for Microsoft at the moment, um, but he spends a lot of his time in Tokyo. Also, he's not just a designer who tries to, you know, um, solve problems. He's also an artist who will create wacky exhibitions and things and just is a real creative thinker, a real out-of-the-box thinker, a great communicator, a great teacher. And when he unpacks some of the veterans of the industry from the generation before him, you understand maybe how he got a chance to be so good because there's some real foundational um, people there. Can I remember any of their names? I'm thinking people like Nicholas Negroponte, you know, people who've been thinking since the late 60s about some of these concepts before they were even glimmers in Microsoft's eye, for sure. People who, whose ideas are now in 40-year-old books. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's just incredible. Um, I would also say I am always inspired by Kara Swisher. I think she's an amazing, um, courageous interviewer who has been holding uh, technology uh, workers to account for a long time. Um, 
she interviewed Kevin Sistrom, the co-founder of Instagram, who's now working on a, a different venture. It's um, Artifact, which is delivering personalised news. Uh, but she's always a great a great time. I saw her also interviewing a Pulitzer Prize winning author based in Austin, um, who wasn't on my radar before. My, you know, shame on me. But you know, can I think of his name now? No. But <laughs> I was there for her. You know, I'm yeah. there for that interview technique and and um, that the original the originality of her questions and her approach and. Um, so, so th- these are the things that super impressed me. That's so cool. I, I, I'm looking forward to hearing you apply your interviewing, the interviewing technique that you've learned at South by Southwest. Oh, in you'll, the, know, yeah, oh, you'll know. You'll oh, know. You're under the spotlight, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I get. I guess you know, with with the hope and with with the, with the learning, and I, I suppose the thing that intrigues me most is that idea of the re- the reckoning that it appears. Um, that the tech industry is going through at the moment? I think it's coming from so many fronts. Yeah. You know, there's there's definitely, you know, the wave of unionisation. There's um, particularly people like Microsoft employees holding their their, um, their business to account and talking about do we want to be contributing to, uh, to the creation of weapons and um, drawing a line there and then Microsoft saying, okay, we hear you loud and clear, we're pulling out of this particular initiative. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's those sort of things. There's um, this... There's the the white collar Amazon workers supporting the um, factory Amazon workers, so the deployment Amazon workers. Um, yeah, there's there's all sorts of waves there. Um, but I think interesting too is you know conversations around bootstrapping versus going the venture capital path with your startup, and these are these are conversations that have been happening for decades. But I think you you see founders coming with so many different perspectives about how they might get an idea off the ground and, you know, being much more informed. So there, there you go. Um, I would say that um, one amazing thing that you can check out on the YouTube channel, which I think might not be obvious if you if you don't check it immediately, is that um, there is a side thing called South by Southwest Studio where the guests do speak to people in public, but then they also get pulled aside into a studio and interviewed just together. There's, mm. you know, New Order did it, a bunch of interesting people to our audience did it. Look out for Douglas Rushkoff. He has a recent book that's all about tech billionaires and their escape fantasies, you know, why they're buying up property in New Zealand and what have you. And it's just, <laughs> it's brutal and delightful mm. and, and quite entertaining. Um, so, you know, there's, you know, ex- escape fantasies of the tech billionaires, uh, survival of the richest. That's actually there something. Go. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on and see what I can check find it out. out. Check Absolutely. it out. And there's James Beard award-winning, you know, chefs and what have you. Like, if you're interested in anything, there's probably something there. Speaking of being interested in anything, before we do wrap this uh, South by Southwest talk up, I couldn't we being us being triple R, us being music focused, what music did you love? Oh, oh my gosh. Well, I didn't get into senior to play because that was just craziness. Mm. Um, and the queuing took hours, but I did see them speak on a panel and that was wonderful. Uh, I'm guessing without Peter Hook. Uh, um, oh, now you're no. testing me. The b- bass were... player who left a few years ago. No, no, no. no. no there were only three of them there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I'm not a good enough fan to have their names at will. All good. Um, I am more about the tech. 
work. <laughs> but uh, I, I spent a lot of time at Australia House and, and other places where Australian bands were, were playing to sort of, you know, lend my local support. And it was amazing to see RVG killing it. That Squid song, so great. I was glad Renee played it while I was on my way here tonight. Um, Civic, incredible, and I think got great energy from the backyard at Australia House, so that was sweet to see. Um, King Stingray, what sweet kids they are frankly to me adorable all the best I saw that they've just announced um their Australian tour uh so get out and see them they were they were stunning there was so many amazing artists and plenty of people I hadn't heard before like Will Varley who might have been Irish I don't know he didn't talk enough Peter Grab, but definitely UK definitely UK some you know something in that in that, in the, in the in that corner of the world. <laughs> oh, Dan, it's all gone wrong. Oh, no, that's that's all good. Look, I, I think uh, if anyone is interested uh, in checking out, I'm on this, uh, the South by Southwest website right now. It looks fantastic. It's definitely worth checking out if you head to sxsw.com and you might be able to feel a little bit of the inspiration that Vanessa felt all the way over there in Austin, Texas. It is 7, just coming up on 7.53. You're listening to Bite Into It on 3 R. We're going to hear a couple of messages and then uh, take the show home a little bit. 7.54 on Bite Into It on 3RRR. We've got a few uh, bits of interview, interesting weird news. Vanessa, talk to me. Look, um, if you loved Wordle but you're better at numbers, you should try the New York Times New Maths Puzzle while it's available in free beta and they're oh. not really sure if they're going to keep doing it. It's called Digits. Okay. Um, it does remind me of the numbers part of SBS's letters and numbers. Well, this Are you is, any good at that? I look. I, I'm, I'm going to say I'm probably okay at both of them. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm one of these people that straddles words oh, and letters, nice. which means that I possibly could be a good contestant on letters and numbers. I don't I know. I think you could. But I would back that. Yeah. No. Maybe. I mean, we'll, I gen, you know, I'm an arm. We'll I'm put an arm you chair on a, player. in a training program. Oh yeah. Need, need to get in touch with David Astle somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but look, I. I, I Love the idea that there is a Wordle, a numbers version of Wordle. I'm hoping that it does get up uh, as popular as Wordle. Of, I feel like it might help with, you know, speeding up your mental arithmetic too. Mm, yeah. Because it's like give you a few numbers and then you've got to figure out a way to get to this other number and, you know, and you've got choices of basic operators, you know, multiplication, division, yeah. you know, addition, and, subtraction. And so so you're not getting into like, you know, logarithms or anything like that. I don't that. think it's getting into BOMDAS. <laughs> I don't think you even have the brackets off. You've just got the others. But then, you know, I'm not sure how it might evolve. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got a chance to give feedback. It's pretty cool. Well, that's it. Jump on, jump on and check that one out. Um, now. We've got a few uh, events and opportunities. Uh, Vanessa, what, what, tell me, tell well, me about this first. Tomorrow one night um, at the uh, Williamstown Library, uh, which is in Footscray, funnily enough, um, at six thirty pm. There's a session talking tech on artificial intelligence. Now I don't know who the speakers are, but I do know that I love all these little community events that pop up in libraries. And um, I think it's awesome that they are well on it. They've said this session is targeted to beginners who want to get a fun and accessible introduction to AI without all the technical jargon. And um, yeah, it just sounds like fun. So if you happened to be in the area and you were there at 6.30 and you just wanted the chance to talk about things instead of only hearing people broadcast about them, mm. it might be the perfect place. Absolutely. Something else that might uh, take your fancy, particularly if you have young people in your life who are taking a bit of a break from their schooling at the moment. Um, the J Car in Box Hill is uh, running a school holiday workshop to build your own Arduino-based snake game. How cool is that? Now, as someone who lost a lot of 
time to snake, <laughs> specifically snake two on a Nokia 3210 back in, I'm going to say 2001. Um, can, I, can I just say, Vanessa, that I filled the entire window with snake. There was, wow. no, way, there was no way for the snake to go. And I remember to this day, nearly t- 25 years later, that my high score was 2,255. You don't need to go on letters <laughs> and numbers. You've clocked snake. I've clocked snake. There was there was nowhere for the snake to go except up its own ass. But Oh, Ouroboros <laughs> vibes. Yeah. Love it. Maybe not. But if, if you are interested in learning to build a snake game using Arduino and you've got some time this Saturday, April 15th, from 11 till 12.30 and a spare $65, uh, jump online uh, and 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 head head down there. It's a ninety minute hands on workshop for absolute beginners of any age. It's not just for kids. So if you you know of of our age and you want to get involved, then by all means. Um, They've set it appropriate for years eight and up. Yeah, like ages eight and up, and that kids under the age of sixteen require an adult over eighteen to remain with them throughout the workshop. And then the presumably best, help. For, yes. Yeah, you would hope so. And but the best part is that you can take the game home with you and while away your time playing yes. some snake. Yeah, you get all these takeaways there's all the materials and a guidebook and you can reuse them for other projects and I just love the idea. It's so hands-on, but it's so, you know, clever and fun. It reminds me of those um, fun way into electronics kits that used to get at Dick Smith Electronics back yes, in the 90s. Yes, I loved that, those. That was so good. Oh, my gosh. Oh, look. Oh, me and my breadboard. We had good times. <laughs> um, another another thing that is definitely worth uh, checking out is the Girls in Tech Australia Conference um, is happening uh, right May now. May 10th. May 10th. Yeah, so, so we're giving you a bit of advance notice because you might want to decide if you want to commit. It's happening in hybrid model so yeah, yeah so online, on, and, online in and in person yeah. uh, there'll be keynotes by uh, Sandy Carter who is the SPVP and channel chief of AWS and Unstoppable Domains uh, Megan Flamer of Monash University's head of startup programs and uh, Harper Reed who's the CEO of the General Galactic Corporation. Yeah Harper Reed quite famous for working on Obama's online uh, marketing campaign ahead of his election. Mm, indeed if you jumped on head to girlsintech.org slash Australia hyphen conference you can check it out. And we want to say a big thank you to our guests this evening, Jeff Webb from Monash University. Uh, thanks to my co-host, Dan Salmon. And thank you to my her co-host, Vanessa de Holker. It's thanks. great to have you back. Thank you. Thanks to our talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, and a, a friendly farewell to her. And uh, massive thank yous. And to Adam Christou and podcaster Carrie Smythe, we've been bite into it. And we'll be back next Wednesday evening. Do stay tuned for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Crew up next. Bye. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.